0: stick twirl uh bench down so uh kind of got our line fired up and uh <laughs> but out there get uh, the game winner so uh we're feeling pretty good out Don't get us fired up what is up hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks about regular season hockey because the NHL season is underway after last night, where the Golden Knights were part of an ESPN doubleheader against the Seattle Kraken that also featured the Tampa Bay Lightning and Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, It was an exciting game. There was a lot going on. There's so much to talk about, and I'm excited to go through it all with my colleague, David Chain. I, of course, am Ben Goetz of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Dave, how are you you recovering from uh, last night? I'm still recovering from that pregame show.
1: I don't know about you, but like that was epic. And if any of, you know, listeners or people that know me, like I don't say things like that about pregame shows and whatever. So yeah, that, I'm, I'm still kind of kind of coming down from that, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, it was just incredible. Shout out to the Golden Knights for uh, topping themselves once again. Uh, for those of you that don't know what happened for the Knights uh, pregame, uh, check out, you know, my Twitter. I got a good video of it. Uh, you can go to the Sports Center Twitter account, like the legit like ESPN because they, you know, Borrowed my video. I got ESPN sliding into my DMs during the first period trying to get it. So uh, make sure to check it out because, uh, like I said, they keep topping themselves. Uh, There's an animated, like, Kraken coming out of the ice trying to get the Golden Knight. I mean, if you thought that the Knights cutting a jet in half during the Western Conference final their inaugural year was good, uh, this might have been even better. Uh, It was part of just an absolutely... Wild night because the Knights did that and then the game was kind of just as good. So we're going to dive into so many storylines from opening night this episode. We're also going to talk about kind of the Knights initial roster and some of the surprises that were in store there. And then we're also going to talk about a uh, well say is a very juicy story that Dave wrote for uh, last Sunday's paper. Uh, wondering if the Knights, you know, are to kind of quote unquote ruthless. And he talked to a bunch of people both inside and outside the organization about several of the team's decisions that have uh, fans have kind of questioned in recent years, uh, including some fresh details on the Marc-Andre Fleury trade. So I'm so excited to break that all down. But before we get to all that, I do want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. We are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, Make sure to check out all our written content at reviewjournal.com. Also, check out our print section because yesterday's print section, Tuesday, featured our annual special section. It was 32 pages previewing the Golden Knights and the NHL season. Pure hockey. There is nothing else in there. And so I love putting it together every year. I hope you guys enjoy reading it every year, but I would highly recommend uh, picking up a copy uh, in print if you can. If not, all of those stories are also available online at ReviewJournal.com. And obviously, we had so much on the game last night, and we will have a lot going forward now that the season is underway. Uh, And finally, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do, podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, well, we have so much to get into with uh, the night's opening game. So, uh, Dave, just how are you feeling now that we are kind of sitting here a day later because we're recording here on Wednesday decompressing? Are you ready to talk about the VGS? <laughs> the VGS.
1: Yes, we're totally going to lean into this VGS thing, by the way, because and you like. I'm totally on board with Adam on this. Like it's Vegas. Like it's not a VGK. It's not a a whole name thing. Like that's what the, the abbreviation is for it's the, it's the city that that's how they do it on there. Like I'll be curious if somebody can hold me to this. Like if they ever have a Columbus game on ESPN, you know, and they put CBJ up there, then yeah. Okay, fine. Then then we can have this discussion. But like, I don't know the, the VGS thing to
0: me is just,
1: (laughs) I I just like kneeling people on it last night. It was
0: so fun. It was just incredible to to see the reaction and to see the fan response and everything. Uh, It was just great. It was made for what was overall just an absolutely uh, compelling game uh, because, of course, it featured a three goal comeback by the Seattle Kraken. The Knights got up three nothing. Seattle came all the way back thanks to just an incredible goal uh, from their third line center, Morgan Geeky, that the uh, Knights took uh, offense to, as you guys heard off the top with uh, Captain Mark Stone talking. Uh, But then that line responded because I thought, uh, from my vantage point, Patch Ready, Stevens, and Stone were really just the story of the game. It's ironic because, of course, it was the latest two expansion teams going at it, but, you know, the... One of some of the best players on the ice were a trio of Knights players that were not around for the inaugural season. I mean, Pacioretty scored two goals and assists. Stone had three assists. Stevenson had an assist and the game winning goal just 35 seconds after Geeky had tied the score. Uh, It was a absolutely wild swing of events. Uh, And before we break it down, let's quick hear from Max Pacioretty talking about uh, the Knights emotions after the score was tied.
1: We'll give you a little sneak peek. I said to Stevie right before the draw, I said, let's go squirrel in this shift, and then he put it in. So, uh, our team has a lot of confidence that, you know, I know we didn't really roll four lines tonight, uh, given, you know, the injury status, but we, we feel that anyone that goes on the ice can contribute and make a difference, and tonight was an example of that. But every night is uh, it seems like someone different steps up, and we want to carry that over th- this year.
0: All right, so that's Max Pacioretty after he had a very impressive uh, opening night. Uh, let's quick talk about the uh, game winning goal, Dave, because Mark Stone was trying to slide it uh, across the offensive zone right to left to Stevenson. It bounced off his skate, or you could say Stevenson helped it bounce off his skate uh, and into the net. It was reviewed to see if he kicked it into the net, but ultimately the goal stood. Were you surprised by that Dave? Yeah. And did you find it very fitting that uh, Seattle's first NHL game, their fans already have an officiating uh, kerfuffle, let's say to debate about, because that feels like a rite of passage in the NHL.
1: That's the perfect way to say it. It's like a total, just all right, now you're a team, you know, now you're complaining about the refs. You know what? The other 31 franchises have gone through for X amount of years and what, you know, Oh, that like, it was just perfect. Like, and then I, I don't think I captured it very well in my story, unfortunately, but just, you know, if I'm a Seattle Kraken fan and that's the first game, like Chandler Stevenson skate is going to have, you know, just this, this crazy dubious place and, and Kraken lore that, that, you know, that's how they lost the first game. Cause the way that that game was going this, this is the other thing too, that that we need to talk about a little bit. And we will was that the Knights were in cruise control. And it really looked like even though Seattle had some pressure and a lot of zone time, that there was a clear difference, you know, between the teams and all, And Pete DeBoer said that they missed some opportunities to put the game away. And I, th- I think he's right. I agree, but it definitely felt like they, you know, went into cruise control a little bit and sat back and allowed Seattle to get back into the game. I don't think Robin Leonard liked the second goal or definitely the third goal. That he gave up, and you know, really, it, I just thought it was a good game. Like more than anything, for that to be the first game of the Kraken and play and have a free goal comeback, controversial, you know, goal that that you know decides it and everything like that. And you've got all the pregame and all the the hoopla and everything that comes with a game in Vegas. Like it was a perfect introduction
0: and, and a perfect like welcome to the NHL, guys. Here you go. Yeah, it was absolutely sensational. I mean everything you want for uh, with drama, but let let's get to the Chandler Stevenson's goal a little bit more uh, specifically because it did bounce off uh, the outside of his skate and into the net. You know, basically, Nick Hague said after the game, he honestly wasn't sure whether it was going to remain a good goal or not. Even Stevenson said basically like he kind of scored. And you can tell if you watch the replay, like he wasn't celebrating like he just scored, you know, a go ahead goal in the third period. He said after the game, you know, like I was kind of like checking with guys like we think we're good. You know, you think that's going to stand. But, you know, Pete DeBoer after the game basically said, like, look, like. I think when it's the outside of your skate, you're basically going to kind of get the benefit of the doubt there. But when it's the inside of the skate, that's when they're more likely to call it uh, what I believe is phrased in the NHL rulebook as a, quote, distinct kicking motion, uh, unquote. And that is what would disqualify a goal from happening. Obviously, that was not the case here. They basically kind of uh, said, you know it was either inadvertent or more of a deflection than an actual kick into the net. And so the goal was allowed to stand. And so basically were you surprised by that at all, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and you're correct. Cause I
1: have the explanation from the situation right in front of me. It's distinct kicking motion, but I think that you, that is in, open to interpretation. Like what is a distinct kicking motion? And I actually will, take exception to what Pete DeBoer said with this whole outside of the skate thing. And even Chandler Stevenson sort of mentioned it, that, that that may have helped them or, or, you know, made the situation or the ruling a little bit easier. You know, I I don't get it. Like I, he clearly knew that he wasn't going to get his stick on it. He clearly put his foot, you know, in a way and sort of moved it. You can see it lift that like he, he angled it. He did. He he, like, what is a kicking motion? Like, do you have to bend your knee to a 45 degree angle and then thrust forward? Like, uh, like, it's just such a, a a subjective, I feel like interpretation of what you feel like kicking it. And and if you, if it's like, do you have to do it like a soccer thing, you know, and the inside of your foot, then, then okay. But to me, you can still kick a puck with the outside of your blade and, I think he was crafty. I think he, you know, said, this is, you know, let's see what happens. Basically it's, it's happening in real time, but you're basically saying like, you know, this is the only way I can get my, you know, body part, something on it, stick, whatever it might be and get it toward the net. So maybe they'll rule it, you know, whatever, let's just, let's just do it. Boom. Uh, You know, I, I think maybe the bigger question is like, well, why isn't, why isn't a guy allowed to kick it in? Or why is that illegal? Like, why should, you know, why shouldn't you be able to basically put it in any way you can? And and, and in some regard, I think that's maybe where, like I said, I'll I'll give Chandler Stevenson credit and and say that I think he made a really smart veteran, you know, kind of crafty play and maybe not so much was rewarded with it, but got away with it.
0: No, for sure. And I'm kind of with you where I am a little it's, you know, a classic NHL rule book thing where why do we need a needlessly uh, complicated interpretation of like what constitutes a kick and what's not a kick? Where uh, I'm kind of with you where, you know, I think most people that watch hockey understand kicking a puck at like full speed and getting any sort of velocity on it is very hard to do so if you're able to do that i say pretty much good on you uh that's fine i'm not that worried about you know taking a ton of goals off the board every year because we're worried about you know kicking now obviously you don't want guys like kind of lifting their leg up because then if all of a sudden becomes a safety issue but for the most part if your blade is like near the ice and it deflects off and in i'm fine with it uh, either way, the goal, of course, did stand last night. And like I said, I feel it feels very fitting that the Kraken fans now have uh, their first NHL official slight so they can join uh, the rest of the 31 clubs in commiserating about the various injustices that have been done to them uh, over the years. Uh, overall, Dave, I mean, there's obviously some more kind of notes to talk about with the night. But what did you think of the crack in the latest uh, expansion team in the NHL team 32? I think obviously most people are not expecting them to have uh, close to as good of an inaugural season as the Knights did. Uh, but I also think for the most part, they looked pretty good. Like, I don't expect them to be a uh, bottom feeder either. No,
1: I thought they were competitive. I mean, that's the word I want to use with this. Because it did feel like the knights, for the most part, were in control of that game, and I think especially that second goal, that sort of trickled through, Robin Lanner, the backhand from Jared McCann, that that one felt like the one that really changed things. And if you know he stops that and and you know it just kind of goes on, then then maybe the narrative's a little different about that game. You know, maybe Morgan Geeky's not in position to you know, send a BB into the top corner and then twirl a stick and get everybody all riled up and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, so in that regard, like, I don't want to sound like I'm completely, you know, dumping on the crack in here, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm going to stick to the fact that I don't think they're going to be maybe as good as some people think. Um, I, I felt like the goal scoring other than You know, I think that first line for them was effective. I'll say that I I thought they were buzzing around. I thought they gave the Knights a lot of problems, but I think over the course of a year, yeah, they're the type of team from what I saw that's going to have to, I think, try to lock teams down a little bit more. I don't know that they can just fly around and play with their hair on fire the way that they did for the first 10 minutes, especially you know, last night and, and have that be their best, you know, way of going about trying to get two points, you know, but all that being said, if I was a Kraken fan last night, and there were plenty in the building, I would have walked away from that game feeling very good about my team, feeling like they're going to entertain me and be very competitive this year. And for a first year team, I, you know, to hold them to the expectation that the Knights, you know, had in their inaugural, inaugural season, I think is unfair, but just the first impression. And and if I were to walk out of that arena last night, you know, with a big S on my chest, I'd feel good about it. I feel like, you know, my team represented well and put on a good show and I could feel good for the next 81 games at the Kraken, you know, would do that at the very least.
0: Yeah. I think they kind of came as advertised. You mentioned their, they don't quite have, you know, a ton of punch up front, at least, you know, a ton of like high end kind of skill and goal scoring. But they worked very hard, you know, on offense. I thought they forechecked well. Uh, they're still missing Yanni Gord, who I think will kind of end up being their number one center when he jumps back in. Uh, defensively, there are times where especially against the Knights uh, transition game, they were a bit of a mess. I like a lot of their talent on the blue line, but it seems, you know, obviously, You know, the first games can be sloppy for a lot of NHL teams. I think they're, you know, especially when, you know, this is a team that literally hasn't played together before, you know, some kinks were expected. I think you definitely saw that in the Kraken's own defensive zone and Phil Grubauer, that was just kind of fine yesterday. I think some of the goals the Knights got early there, some, you know, probably he would say that he could have done better on, but I do like him and, um, there are other goaltender who named Chris Drieger. I like them as a tandem. I think they're going to be very good together. So I'm curious to see how the Kraken end up doing throughout the year. And especially, I would say, maybe, you know, kind of starting next month once they have a couple games under their belt and maybe they're able to be a little bit more cohesive. I want to hit on a couple other night's topics before we uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, first off, uh, let's quick go through what must have been one of the weirdest NHL debuts, not just in Knights history, but, uh, NHL history. Uh, so Pavel Dorofayev and Jack Dugan make the Knights initial roster for salary cap purposes. I don't want to like bog people down in the minutia of it, but basically it relates to, uh, Alex Tuck starting the season on long-term injured reserve. So in order to kind of get the maximum, Uh, salary cap benefits from that. The Knights called up their most expensive guys from the Silver Knights, which were Dorofaev and Dugan. But NHL rules state that those guys then can't be sent back down to Henderson day one of the season. So they are stuck on the roster, at least for opening night. And because William Carrier and uh, Matthias Janmark were unavailable, to the Knights carries and concussion protocol. Uh, Ian is in COVID-19 protocol, the Knights were basically down to 10 forwards. And so they had to improvise. They moved Dylan Coghlan from defense to forward and they had Dora make his NHL debut because as Dave has reported, uh, Jack Dugan is dealing with a lower body injury and couldn't go. So, you know, basically Pete DeBoer's hands were tied that Dora needed to play despite not, playing in a preseason game uh, this training camp. He got four shifts in the first period, one in the second, none in the third. Uh, He didn't even get the kind of customary rookie solo lap uh, before the game. It was uh, a very kind of bizarre situation, Dave, and uh, he and Dugan were sent back down. Today because of course now the Knights were able to and they've called up Jake LeCision and Jonas Ronberg. We'll see if those two guys end up making their NHL debuts tomorrow against the Kings, but uh you've been warning people for a while on this podcast Dave to expect a very weird opening night roster because of the Knights, you know, salary cap situation and uh we definitely got it. Yeah.
1: And I'm thinking back to that story that I wrote about Andrew Garner now and Know, the ending of it and I probably botched it and made it, you know, seem I think I indicated it would be a little more straightforward with Alex Tuck. Um and that's clearly not like the case. And yeah, it's it's probably a, a misleading paragraph if somebody were to go back and read it. Um but yeah, well and I know there were a lot of questions um about Jack Dugan and like why he wasn't in there. And you know obviously as you mentioned, you know, I would was able to report that, that he was hurt. And I mean, I'd love to, talk to Jack Dugan at this point and be like, you know, you could have made your debut and whatever happened, happened, you know, to prevent that, like how much of a bummer is that? Um, but you know, the, the Knights are going to continue to sort of skirt the salary cap, or, you know, skirt that salary cap line, you know, walking that tightrope, however you want to say it. Um, You know, I, it was interesting to, to one, see Pete DeBoer's reaction, you know, when it just seemed like, you know, Dora Five was going to be in the lineup. It was kind of like, well, I guess it appears that way, you know, like he clearly wasn't happy about it all, um, you know, but they got two points and, you know, they called up Ron Beard and the uh, today as we're recording this, you know, on Wednesday. So it looks like they're going to continue to kind of, you know, do these things and, and have to do things this way. It's just kind of maybe interesting that, you know, Romberg and decision are the guys that get called up instead of maybe somebody like Quinny and Barchie. Are they, I don't understand this rule very well. At this point, it seems like they would be eligible. Yes. And maybe it speaks to Lacision and Romberg and they certainly got, you know, some, Big long looks in training camp got a handful of games, you know, between the two of them in the preseason. So maybe it just speaks to the training camp that those two had and where the organization
0: views them. Yeah. We'll see if they end up, uh, like I said, getting in the game tomorrow against the Kings. Neither of those two guys has made their NHL debut. Uh, One guy that has and did make the opening night roster and played his fifth NHL game last night uh, was Peyton Krebs. Um, because of all the holes the Knights have forward right now, where we already mentioned Kerry and Yanmark, uh, also Nicholas Juan, Brett Howden, uh, started the year on injured reserve. I don't think it's you know necessarily, I guess uh, ultimately surprising that Krebs did make this roster just because the path became so very clear for him with all these absences. But still, obviously, it was a huge accomplishment um, for Krebs who. Uh, was really working for this, who felt that he was ready. If you listen to the podcast we did with him um, before training camp. So, you know, we've touched a lot that Krebs didn't have a great start to camp, but kind of improved as he went along. Um, So what did you just think of his kind of trajectory that he was on to make this opening night roster, Dave? And how do you think he looked yesterday against Seattle? Yeah, I think he
1: showed what he needed to show for the most part over the course of the training camp. And, you know, I think Pete DeBoer and the management who, you know, was pretty clear and, and it was made sort of public, you know, by Pete DeBoer that the early rosters, you know, was a lot of them wanting to see certain guys and, you know, sort of controlling that a little bit until the dress rehearsals at the end. And obviously they had some input and, and, you know, some guys conversations and, and Peyton Krebs getting as many games, you know, as he got the biggest thing that stood out to me and you know, pizza board was asked about it a couple different ways by myself, by by you, I think by others, you know, was just about Peyton Krebs's versatility and that he's not going to necessarily come in and have to be a guy that plays in the top six, that he can play lower in the line, play in the middle six. And that he, if it even came to it, depending on how the Knights roster, you know, looked on any given night, that he could actually play on the fourth line because of his energy, you know, because of the way that, 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 he brings it in and, you know, four checks hard and, you know, all of those sorts of things that they like about his game, that it, it translates, you know, to a lot of different spots, a lot of different roles that they feel he can play. And so I think that that's the, you know, the one thing that really stood out to me. And, you know, if I'm looking at this roster and, and how they constructed it and why he's on there. And especially with the injuries and, and you factor that in, is, is just you know, his versatility, his ability to if, if there's an injury in the top six, he's the guy that you can plug in. And if you want him in your lineup, maybe more on a night-to-night basis, he has the ability to play, you know, down in the roster. The biggest question for me, and maybe a little bit of the elephant in the room with all of this, is, what happens when Matthias Ganimore? gets back out of COVID protocol. And if it's a 10-day thing, if it's a 14-day thing, um, we don't know if he tested positive, It's if it's contact tracing. It sounds like it's probably more of a positive test based on the fact that he's not expected to travel to Los Angeles. So let's just kind of maybe unfairly operate under that assumption. And you know, if he's asymptomatic and. Has X number of you know negative tests within like seven days, he can come back before that. But let's just say he's out for a little bit. This gives Peyton Krebs a chance to really seize a job because I don't think Matthias Yamark had the best training camp, and I don't think he really wowed anybody, you know, during the exhibition season. Now, if he's positive, like, did that have any effect on it? If he is symptomatic, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say, but. This is really, you know, a, an extended audition for Peyton Krebs in that regard. And if he's able to seize a, you know, a job and, and really grab hold on the third line and make something happen there, depending on developing chemistry with Nolan Patrick or maybe the or, you know, whoever else is there, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see going forward. And that, that's really kind of how I view this at this point for Peyton Krebs is it's an extended opportunity and, uh, you know, we'll see where things go and what he's able to do with it and then what happens when the TCM mark is able to come back and how Pizza DeBoer wants to then, you know, mix and match mix and match. It's, excuse me, the
0: pieces. Hey, it's, you know, we're all recovering from last night, but I I agree with you. Um, Krebs is going to be fascinating even uh, when the roster is kind of uh, potentially fully healthy again. We'll see if they even get to that point. I feel like A lot of uh, uh, time and energy that uh, we all do, both as journalists and uh, fans of a certain team, is kind of debate what's going to happen when a team gets fully healthy. And for the most part, uh, when it comes to hockey and other contact sports like football, you're almost never actually fully healthy. So we'll see. And I do think kind of that versatility you mentioned with Peyton Krebs is a reason why he could stick, because potentially if, you know, The comes back, but there's an opening somewhere else. Krebs has the ability to fill in kind of wherever. I mean, last year when he was bouncing between the world juniors, uh, his junior team, the AHL, the NHL. I mean, he played left wing center, right wing. He even played defense uh, briefly for the Winnipeg Ice. But I don't think the Knights are going to ask him to do that. Uh, He played penalty kill last night. He's practiced at least some on the power play. So he can really kind of be. Uh, you know, uh, a tool that they use in kind of whatever opening arises. So I think that does, uh, you know, speak potentially well to his potential to stick around uh, if he is able to impress in the next couple games. games. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up here is a story that uh, you did, Dave, uh, last Sunday, uh, basically, you know, asking the question, are the Knights two kind of quote unquote Ruthless and talking to kind of fans about some of the lingering resentment um, it felt like toward the the front office because of, you know, the decisions they've made in recent years to get rid of some fan favorites. You know, they traded Nate Schmidt uh, last offseason uh, this summer. They traded Marc-Andre Fleury, which is kind of the big headline move that made a lot of people very upset. And of course, they traded Ryan Reeves. As well. And you talk to a lot of people to get a lot of different perspectives for this story. Uh, You talk to fans. You talk to uh, current players. You talk to Mike McKenna, the Knights former broadcaster. And, of course, you talk to uh, the Knights front office, George McFeek, Kelly McCrimmon, uh, and, you know, Bill Foley himself to get their perspective on all of this and kind of the, you know, emotions that the fans are feeling. And I don't want to give everything away from the story, but I uh, just, can you give our listeners at least some idea of kind of the, the impetus behind it and, and how you went about uh, reporting this piece?
1: I mean, I think the impetus behind it was just how vocal people have been, whether it's through, you know, email, whether it's been on Twitter, whether it's been on, you know, radio shows or just, you know, all of the things that we all consume. I mean, I, I don't think anybody could go into the season and turn a blind and turn a blind eye to it it was there it was obvious and it was loud and i felt like it needed to be acknowledged i felt like you know one the fans needed to be heard and and i want to compliment you know especially the couple of people i i talked to a number of people that that i would consider from the fan side of things and I wasn't able to use everybody Uh, a couple people that I was able to use and include. I do want to really just sort of single them out and compliment just how well I feel like they spoke for the fans and their online community and what people were feeling about this. And, you know, that was my attempt. I wanted to really show, you know, their side of it but also the night side of this too and and really you know try to delve a little deeper into you know the psychology of the Mark Andre Fleury trade and why people are angry about it and you know the night side of you know what could be perceived as, as the lack of communication and and you know I hope I was fair I hope I was balanced and I hope I you know gave everybody a chance to to speak on the topic and you know, presented it fairly, uh, <laughs> I just want to say this because I love beating myself up, but I also think because it's pertinent to the story, like I spoke to Ryan Reeves about this too, when he had his little summer going away thing. And, and, you know, I asked him point blank, are the nights too ruthless? And, you know, his, his response, and I really wish it was in the story was, you know, along the lines of, you know, you know, that if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup. Sometimes those are the hard decisions that need to be made. And I think ultimately that that's maybe the takeaway. I hope everybody has from this, from both sides is, you know, in pro sports and the NHL, it's a business and sometimes feelings can't hurt. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's tons of great stuff in the story. I don't want to spoil it all for everyone. I just really encourage, um, people to go check it out at reviewjournal.com. But was there, I guess, one, you know, big takeaway that you had from it all, Dave, or one thing that surprised you when you actually went about kind of talking to people and reporting this out? I mean, it's hard to put it on one. There was probably a
1: couple things to be, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I know, I know we're trying to wrap this up, you know, a little bit. I hope folks are, are sticking with us here. Um, I think, you know, from the night side, the, the biggest takeaway from me was just how unapologetic they are about winning. And, you know, we had a conversation about this. And there was the video of Bill Guerin, the GM of the wild that was going around and he's got the team, you know, gathered and he's kind of, you know, probably giving his his preseason sort of pep talk and whatever. And he, you know, he kind of says, you know, out loud, like, you know, you guys know what this is about, right? Quiet and, you know, Spurgeon, you know, Jared Spurgeon, the captain, you know, what's this about? Says, you know, what hard work and having fun, I think was the response,
0: right, Ben? Yeah. With a little bit of a smirk, like sarcastic. And
1: and Garen obviously is like, you know, beep that, you know, this is about winning everybody. and, And it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that became very clear in this story and you know, in talking to different people is there are you know a handful of teams, a dozen teams in the NHL, whatever it whatever that number is, it varied a little bit depending on who you spoke to um, that are willing to do what it takes and are committed to winning a Stanley Cup and there are a lot of other teams in this league that either aren't committed at all or just they do it the right way. And if you get the Stanley cup along with that, and it comes with doing it the way that you need to do it, then it's almost a bonus. And not every team is willing to go all out, you know, to win a Stanley cup. And the Knights are one of those teams that are, and, and, you know, certainly from Bill Foley's side, um, George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon, like they feel like in time, you know, folks will understand that, that yes, you know, it hurts now, but this is about bringing a Stanley cup to Vegas. They're doing it for them. And the irony is the fans, it feels like don't want them to do it that way. It, it was always, you know, it was brought up to me and I didn't specify it necessarily, necessarily in the story. Unfortunately, I tried to a little bit, but there's this feeling that, that the night should be more loyal. That this team that you know prides itself on honor and this code that Bill fully presents should should be more loyal to the people you know that laid the foundation you know for this team and and you know one of my the other takeaway and I'm, I'll, I'll try to wrap this up a little bit you know from all of this I, I felt like was just the strength and the power of what Robin Leonard calls the cult of flower. and and that would, that voice was so strong in this and that people, no matter what, no matter what you say, no matter how it's presented, no matter how many times you say players find out about trades on social media all the time in every sport, it doesn't matter because the golden Knights mistreated Mark andre Fleury. And, and so it, it just, the psychology of that and, and the strength of the narrative. We, we've talked about this before that, you know, the Knights basically lost a, a game, a PR game that they didn't even know they were playing as, as Adam Hill. So, so gracefully put it. And, and so I hope all of this comes across in the story. I hope people read it. I know there was a lot of, you know, conversation that, that went on on Twitter about it. and And certainly that was my intent with the story. So, you know, again, it's just, it's such a complicated topic and issue. And there's so many layers, you know, to it all. And and certainly George McPhee, you know, calling out Alan Walsh. I, I really wish that Alan Walsh, you know, had, I'll say this, I wish he had the guts to answer a phone call and speak to this topic one more time, um, and answer a few of my questions. Unfortunately, he didn't, you know, but you know this 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 was sort of the voice of the fans and and the nice response to that and and I hope it all came across.
0: I think at least from my perspective, it definitely did, and you did an awesome job. Well, uh, make sure yeah, gotta pump your tires once in a while. Uh, make sure everyone to uh, check out that story. Uh, like I said at ReviewJournal.com. Uh, also check out all our stories. Uh, on the nights there like I said we just had our special section come out in uh, Tuesday's paper 32 pages of hockey only content so make sure you pick up a copy Uh, if not all our stories are up at ReviewJournal.com and we really hope you guys uh, read them we really hope you guys keep listening to us now that the regular season is underway Uh, last night I think was an incredible atmosphere great environment really fun hockey game And, uh, hopefully that's just the start of what will be an entertaining season, uh, for everyone. Uh, just a quick reminder that the golden edge podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas review journal. We are presented by blue wire. Uh, I'm Ben goes, that's David Shane. As I said, we are the golden edge podcast and we'll talk to you guys again real soon.